Nets. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Dave Rudat. Glad to be with you today. We're talking about the doxology of the Lord's Prayer and what is the danger in looking for answers to our prayer. So we'll be talking about the doxology and the amen. As always, this is always meant to be the beginning of a conversation and not the end. Uh, we would welcome your comments and your questions, whether that be in person, whether at St. John and Maribel or at Emmanuel Lutheran in Shirley. You can email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com. You can even email us snarky comments. That's okay. Even I will read them. Pastor Harley will enjoy them. I'll read them. He'll enjoy them. Um, and uh, we'll uh, continue our conversation together as we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. As always, as we're talking, we are... I'm not necessarily reflecting the views of our churches or our church bodies, although our, the views of our churches and our church bodies permeates everything that we say. Uh, we're not holding them to our silly comments or our snarky comments. We are holding them to the confessions and the Bible, just as you should be holding us to the confessions and the Bible. So please feel free uh, to ask questions, challenge us, because we want to grow just as we are seeking uh, you to grow with us as well. So castingnetspod at gmail.com, Facebook, in person. Those are all really good options for continuing this conversation. Today our topic, as I said before, is the doxology. We'll be talking about that, and our question is, what is the danger in looking for answers to our prayers? And maybe you can think of a danger or two in trying to find an answer to your prayer. You pray to God, and then you're saying, God, here, uh, show me an answer. What's the danger in that? And so, without further ado, let's get the music and go right into the topic. close the Lord's Prayer on the doxology, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. If you are to compare the two accounts of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6 and Luke 11, you would notice that Luke's account does not contain the words of the doxology. If you were to take a closer look at the NIV Bible or the EHV Bible, you would notice that the words of the doxology are not part of the Lord's Prayer, but are found in a footnote at the bottom of the page. There is some question as to whether or not Jesus spoke the words of the doxology when he taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. The earliest manuscripts of Matthew's Gospel do not contain the words of the doxology. Many scholars maintain that doxology was added to the Lord's Prayer at a later date. Whether or not the words of Jesus were actually spoken in the doxology, they are very scriptural. They're found in the Bible. We find the very same thoughts expressed 
In David's song of praise in First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 to 12, which says, To you, O Lord, belong greatness, power, glory, victory, and majesty, because everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. I'm reading from the EHV. You, Lord, are exalted as head over everything. The kingdom belongs to you. Riches and honor come from you. You are ruling over everything. In your hand are power and strength. It is in your power to make everyone great and strong. That's just the Old Testament, but it's also in the New Testament as well. In First Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 17. Now to the King, eternal, to the immortal, invisible, only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So for us to say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, are certainly in line with the rest of Scripture, which testifies about Christ. Uh, It is Christ speaking to us through the rest of the Scriptures. And so for us to add it on at the end of the Lord's Prayer certainly is scriptural and would be honoring Jesus as well. The words of the doxology are a hymn of praise. In the words of the seven petitions, we have made our request known to our Heavenly Father. We have presented our needs according to his gracious command and promise. Having presented our needs, we close our prayer, praising him for the help that we know that he will give us as he has promised, and thanking him for the blessings which we know we will receive from him. In addition to being a hymn of praise, the words of the doxology express our ground of assurance They give us the reasons why we can be certain that our Heavenly Father will hear and answer our prayer. We begin by being reminded that our Father is a king. Our Heavenly Father is more than just a mere earthly ruler. He is the sovereign ruler of the entire universe. He rules and governs all things in heaven and on earth. His rule embraces all people of every nationality and of every language. Since all beings belong to our Heavenly Father, he rules over all, and he can give us everything that we need. So when we pray, yours is the kingdom, we are reminding ourselves that God is our king and that he will treat us royally whenever we come to him. Since God, our father, is our king, we need not be afraid of what we have to ask is too great for a king to grant. Uh, One of our hymns in the old hymnal now, in the red and the Christian worship, a Lutheran hymnal, the 1993 version, there is a hymn called uh, Come My Soul With Every Care, and on one of the verses, it's uh, it says, um, "You are coming to a king. Large petitions to you to him bring, for his power and grace are such none can af- ever ask too much." Uh, it sounds like this: "You are coming to a king. Large petitions to him bring, for his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much." Now. I noticed it's not in the new hymnal. And I thought to myself, why did they not have this hymnal? I guess for in my head, I I probably have picked this hymn quite a bit, uh, especially for that line. None can ever ask too much. It's just an encouragement for us to pray. And then I looked in the new hymnal, and there is actually a really good hymn that they put, which says the same thing, but also avoids uh, some of what John Newton was driving towards in his hymn, and that is where, and maybe you don't perceive it too much sitting there in the pew, but uh, pastors, as you can see, the background of the individual writing it, where he is appealing completely to the sovereignty of God, and then also uh, uh, praying, God, tell us what we should be doing, right? Instead of, 
God, answer my prayer. It's God, tell us what we should be doing. And yes, that is, in a certain sense, it is scriptural, but you can see from a Reformed background where it would be, the focus would always be on what us, what we have to do in order for us to to get gain favor from God or to be a Christian. We have to do A, B, or C. And uh, we've got actually a really good hymn that's replaced. Maybe it's replacing. I don't know. I don't know the history, but it's hymn 719 in the new hymnal, and it's called, Lord, Teach Us How to Pray. And for those of you who would say, oh, no, no, not another new hymn. Yeah, I can't learn how to sing that easy. The 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 tune is actually very much the same. It's uh, Let me just read the words. Lord, teach us how to pray as once the twelve you taught, for we can never find the words of, to praise you as we ought. Lord, teach us how to pray when cares distract the mind. Help us to wait in quietness, a calmer spirit find. Lord, teach us how to pray. Rekindle faith's bright flame until our faith leaps up again to speak and praise your name. Lord, teach us how to pray. Remind us day by day that you wait eagerly to hear before we think to pray. Now, this one is definitely more Lutheran. It, uh, it, it, uh, if you know, um, our Father who art in heaven and Luther's explanation, that's a, a uh, that's a, that's in Luther's explanation where we know that our Heavenly Father knows before we even ask, but we would pray that we would have that confidence to come before him and talk to him as dear children talk to their dear father. So I mentioned uh, the hymn tune is a little bit easy, is, is not an unfamiliar one. Um, and it goes like this. Lord, teach us how to pray. As once the twelve you taught, for we can never find the words to praise you as we ought. So again, it's a very familiar tune, but now it's got very uh, Lutheran uh, theology in it as well. So I I kind of like that one, and I'm not sad that they switched. Maybe they switched it. I don't know. I I'm, I went through the prayer hymns in our hymnal and. Uh, I was thinking for something that was would say kind of the same thing as "Come, my soul," uh, or whatever. The, I've already forgotten it because I only I, I only remember that one stanza: "For His grace and power are such none can ever ask too much." Anyway, um, off my soapbox. Back to the topic of the doxology. There have been many men who were kings in name only. While they were appointed kings, they had no power to rule. They had no power to grant the various requests of their people. For them, the title king was just that, a title. This is not true of our Heavenly Father. He possesses all power in heaven and on earth. He is almighty. He called everything into existence, and by his power and might, he sustains all things. Our Heavenly Father can do more than merely promise that he will grant our requests and help us. He has the power to help, and he wants us to hear his prayer. Because our Heavenly Father is a king who is omnipotent, who can, we can be sure that we can faithfully, he can faithfully grant our requests. Even though we may seem to be asking for the impossible, nothing is impossible with God. When our life is beset with danger on every hand, we can rest assured that our Heavenly Father is ruling all things. His powerful hand will uphold us and bring us safely through all dangers. In the words of the doxology, we are making a promise to our Heavenly Father. We are promising him that he will give him that we will give him the glory for hearing and answering our prayers. This is in keeping with the command that he has given us in Psalm 50. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will, what? Honor me. 
We are not only to give our Heavenly Father the glory because he has answered our prayer. We are to give him the glory all the time. Scripture reminds us whatever in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. All that we can do in this life is to be done to the glory of God. As a candle is consumed by giving light, so we should spend and be spent in advancing the glory of God. As we spend our life in giving God the glory in this life, so we shall continue to do the same in heaven. Although that's not all that we'll be doing. Um, especially when it gets to the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, because this new earth that Jesus will be creating at the end of time will need us to manage it as well. So we'll be able to, it's a reset of all of creation and all of time, putting us in the garden once again, so to speak, and giving it to us to work and to tend and to manage. We close the Lord's Prayer, as we do with all of our prayers, with the words, Amen. Now, Amen does not simply mean the end. Sometimes we tell this to our children just as a quick um and it's a it's a good uh, mnemonic mnemonic device is that mnemonic is that the right word a good memory because it kind of sounds the same amen the end um, concluding a prayer or concluding a sermon or the entire worship service with the word amen is more than an announcement that we have come to the end the word amen is a word of assurance a word of confidence amen this is True, this is so. Here at Emmanuel, uh, we sting the amens at the end of all of our hymns, uh, not just certain hymns and not just uh, during the liturgy. Uh, we sing the amen at the end, and it's, it's a custom that we have kept uh, going back now to hymnals. Uh, we used to have the, the, the Lutheran hymnal had the amens at the end. Our congregation kept singing them. We don't sing them for every hymn. Some hymns, it just doesn't quite fit with how the metrics of the hymn turn out but as much as we can we sing the amens and to be honest i really like hearing the amens at the end of a hymn and the reason why we sing an amen at the end is to remind us of the assurance of whatever it is we're praying for in that hymn whatever it is we are proclaiming to each other in that hymn we are saying at the end yeah everything that i have sung thus far is true and if it's a request to God, we are also praying, God, please grant whatever we ask. And we have every confidence that he hears and every confidence that he answers our prayer. Did you know that the word amen is actually one of the names of God? It is the name which God calls himself in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16, it says, Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the God of truth. He who takes an oath in the land will swear by the God of truth. The English word truth is actually the Hebrew word, amen. That's why um, in the NIV, moving away from uh, the oh, King James, we NIV always said, I tell you the truth. And in the English heritage version, we go back to the Hebrewism that Jesus used there, amen, amen. In the New Testament, the word amen is used as a name for Jesus, actually, in the book of Revelation as well. We hear Jesus say in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. When God and Jesus call themselves the Amen, they mean that they are the one and only true God. What they say is true and trustworthy in every detail. It is this sense of the word that Jesus uses the word Amen more than a hundred times in the Gospels. A hundred times. One, zero, zero times. 
When we use the word amen at the end of the Lord's Prayer, as well at the end of our other prayers and our hymns, we are in essence saying that everything in that prayer is true. I just said that already. Um, Since the word amen is a name for God, we are not to use it lightly. The word amen should never cross our lips unless it comes from our heart. It is a great sin to have the word amen on our lips and not to have the same conviction in, of the word in our heart. It's as if we're just uh, saying the word just because, or we think that God will hear us because of our many words, as Jesus says. By teaching us to use the word amen at the end of our prayers, God is pledging himself to answer them. He is the God of truth. What he says and promises is true. When he promises, he will call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him in Psalm 91 verse 15 or in Isaiah 65 verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. That's Matthew 7 verse 7. God will keep his promises. God will hear and he will answer our prayers. While God promises to hear and answer our prayers, he has not promised to answer them in the way that we ask. God answers our prayer at a time and in a manner that's always best for us. Uh, 1 John 5 verse 15 uh, encourages us in that regard. uh, John says, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, hears us, hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. That's a very profound statement of John. John gets us all the time with his profound statements. He's got some very simple language and uh, vocabulary is not complicated, but he gets us in the, in the deep concepts of, we know that when we pray to our God, that he will hear us according to his will and he will act on them. And um, however he acts, we know that he will because he promises it in his word. And so so the question that we ask ourselves is, is there a danger in looking for answers to our prayers? What's the danger in, ask, in looking for answers to our prayers? We'll talk about that uh, next. Sometimes God gives the answer to prayer. For example, Abraham prayed for the, uh, his nephew Lot that God would save him, but he doesn't use the word Lot. He just says 10 or less people. And God answers his prayer because his nephew was saved. Sometimes God uh, prays that people would give uh, would give God a sign. For example, Hezekiah, the, the steps, uh, the sun going forward or backwards on the steps to prove to God that God's going to be with him. Other times like Gideon, where uh, God, where Gideon prays to God to have the ground be dry or ground be wet, depending on the day. Uh, it was two times he did it twice, and God answers that prayer. Third time when God answers Jesus' prayer. We think of uh, Jesus prays to God, glorify your name, and the, the voice from heaven says, I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. Other times Jesus prays, and there is no direct answer or sign from God that he has heard and answered that prayer. In the New Testament, in the New Testament church, there's an example of the church praying to God for comfort and for confidence as they so as they were doing what the, uh, they have been called to do to share the good news of Jesus to those around them and the ground shakes afterwards. What I find fascinating is that 
oftentimes God gives an answer to a prayer, a visible answer, not because necessarily because God's people ask for it. And there, the danger is for us when we're praying that we're, we're get hooked on God's answer. Like, God, you have to do this. You know, if this leaf is going to fall off the tree at this very moment, then I know that you have heard my prayer and that you've answered it in a certain way. Or God, give me a sign. And God, somehow, whatever the sign is, you, you prescribe to God what the sign is and, and then it happens. The danger in uh, those things is that one, that we get hooked on that. That we say, oh, the f- tree, f- the leaf fell from the tree. Maybe that was just a fluke. Maybe I better, you know, pray, pray again. The next leaf or the, or uh, the next sign or that, you know, it's, we get hooked on the sign or we get hooked on the, whatever it is that we're, we're praying that God would give us that answer, a visible sign. And we are less and less dependent on his word that he's going to answer his prayer. We live by faith and not by sight. We live uh, by the word of God being proclaimed to us, and we hold on to that word not because we've seen a sign, not because uh, we've had some sort of miracle happen to us or that we have beheld a miracle. Oftentimes in the New Testament, there are plenty of examples where people saw miracles, and yet they still did not believe. They Just because you, you right, uh, we think of uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, they saw all kinds of miracles of Jesus, and they still didn't believe. Um, just because you you have these experiences in life, maybe does, God does answer your prayer in a visible way. But my caution is, don't get hooked on that. Don't get hooked on uh, God's answer to prayer. Get hooked on his word, which always answers our prayer. His word, which always reveals to us His uh, God's will for us. It always reveals to us how he feels about us, uh, that he loves you in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Thanks for joining us today on Casting Nets, about a real podcast, not a fake one, about real life and living faith. I'm Pastor Dave Rudolph. Please join us next time as we talk more about prayer. Mm-hmm.